Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Bucknuts happy hour. We are here on Thursday, May 11th, recording this. It's uh, really starting to feel like the offseason when we're talking Ohio State football. So coming up with some different ideas, things to talk about. If you have any questions that you'd like us to answer, football, basketball, Ohio State, college sports, whatever, you're watching this live, feel free to throw those in the chat here. I'm going to get to some questions kind of in the second half of our show here if we have them. But feel free to throw them in the chat. I'll mention that throughout. But the main focus we're going to talk about today is Ohio State and the transfer portal. And the Buckeyes have long been kind of uh, one of the teams that hasn't hit on the transfer portal nearly as much as some other ones. But that has changed this offseason. And bring in Chris Hummer here, 247 Sports, college football writer. Uh, Chris, thanks for joining me. you and I both kind of wrote similar things, you from a national perspective, me from a kind of local perspective on the change in approach by Ohio State. Before we get into that, though, I want to ask you, when you look at the transfer portal as a whole, who are the teams that jump out as like the transfer portal teams to you? Well, I think it determined, I, I, sorry, I don't want to qualify at the beginning. I think it just depends on what you think about in terms of how the transfer portal is used. I think Colorado has become the definition of the transfer portal this offseason because of the pure volume that we've seen both incoming and ex-coming, out, incoming and outgoing, sorry, there you I go. guess export, whatever. Um, so that's, I think, what people think about first. Like you're talking about 58 scholarship transfers leaving the program or somewhere around that number, and they're trying to bring in 40 or so scholarship players to replace them. But when you talk about teams that have utilized it well to compete for championships, both conference and national championships, I think of TCU, I think of Florida State, I think of what Lincoln Riley did in year one at USC, I think of LSU last season, the way they were able to use it. Um, Hell, I even think of like an SMU, like before Sonny Dykes left for, um, before Sonny Dykes left for Fort Worth last year, he used the portable to build that program up and Rhett Lashley's done a really good job doing that as well. So those are, those are a few of the teams that really jump out from that perspective. So I asked that to kind of compare, what would you say like numbers wise between those schools, what do they average? 
I mean, if, if you're an Ohio State fan who hasn't paid attention to a ton of this, what are some of the bigger schools averaging in terms of numbers per offseason? Oh, like a ton. Um, USC, I think, is at 15 commits right now for the transfer portal. Oklahoma is at 15. Florida State's at nine. Um, UCLA, another team that I think is really up front in the portals at 14. Um, Old Miss, another team that's quite up there. We saw them last season um, parlay that into a pretty successful 2022 is at 18. Oregon's at 10. So you're seeing a lot of these programs. Um, I would separate them into different categories, like outside of Florida State and maybe even including Florida State. They're not like the top tier contender like we would talk about with like an Ohio State of Georgia and Alabama. Um, but these are teams that are in the national conversation a lot of times, and they're taking double-digit transfers in a lot of cases. So that's kind of my setup to what Ohio State has been and what we've seen this offseason. So I jotted down here the numbers. The most before this offseason, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but the most before this offseason, I believe that Ohio State brought in in terms of scholarship numbers was three. And already this offseason, and I don't think they're going to add any more, but I think we're up to eight scholarship guys now that the Buckeyes have brought in. And that, uh, you know, you've got Jihad Carter, uh, Davison Igbenosin, Tristan Gebbia. Uh, they just added the offensive lineman from, um, from Josh, San Diego State. Yep. In, uh, Josh Simmons, yeah. Josh Simmons, yeah. So you, you've seen this shift. Now I'm looking at it from a kind of on-the-ground perspective. And when I wrote about this the other day, I went back to find this, I thought use this quote from Ryan Day, and I think it kind of encompasses what the philosophy was. This was said by Ryan Day just over a year ago. We really haven't spent a ton of time focusing on the transfer portal because if you think you want to sustain the program for a long period of time, I think recruits and their families, when you recruit them and talk to them about the plan for them to develop in your program, they want to see that happen. And they really don't want to see a transfer come in and jump somebody in line. What do you make of that? And then a year later, eight transfers coming in for Ohio State. Well, I, I would say first, I don't blame Ryan Day for being that being your strategy. Ohio State's roster is better than anybody else's in college football, except for maybe two or three teams. And I think they're all pretty comparable. So if you're Ohio State, like your best chance is to protect your roster. And I think we've seen Ohio State do that largely um, the last two years. That's what That's what you should do. Like if you put... I would put it this way. I think about this with Georgia because Georgia didn't take a lot of transfers last year and they've taken only a few this offseason. But I think if you put Georgia's 85 scholarship players in the portal, they'd probably be like 85 of the top 150 players in the transfer portal. Like the best transfer portal roster you can put together, the all transfer portal team might not beat Georgia. It might not beat Ohio State because they have the players everybody wants to get. So you're that like make, that strategy makes sense. It's just you can't totally protect your roster in this era. It's just like, you're going to have a Caleb Burden or Caleb Brown situation where they play at Ohio state for a year. They realize they're not going to get on the field and they're going to leave. Like, that's just the reality of it. We saw it last year with Ohio state's DB room as well. When you lost several future power five starters to the portal, um, despite the fact that Ohio state was trying to be very careful with the room to protect it. Mm -hmm. So I think it's natural for Ryan Day to want to have that, um, inclination to protect this roster i just don't know how feasible that is to protect your whole 85 man roster um in this era not bring anybody in you're gonna lose people automatically at the bottom of your depth chart you just are so you have to be willing to bring in some pieces to replace them in the offseason yeah and, and let's be clear here it's not like ohio state has completely gone away from the transfer portal since it's become a thing i think the most obvious example is justin fields but there's Trey Sermon. There was Jonah Jackson from Rutgers. Noah Ruggles, the kicker, the last couple of years. So the Buckeyes have have hit in the portal. They've just been more selective, I think, is kind of the way I would look at it. And I do think that one thing that, that kind of wasn't in that quote, but that Ryan Day preaches a lot, and this is recruiting, this is day-to-day, -day, this is now the transfer portal, uh, even NIL to some degree is, is the culture of the program. And that's been a really big thing that he's – carried over and adjusted from urban Meyer that I found interesting. And I think you don't want to bring in a guy who doesn't fit that culture. Right. And in the transfer portal, you don't get as long to get to know some of these kids unless you've recruited them prior. 
And I think that that has a factor. Uh, but you and I were talking the other day when, when you were talking to me about this story. Ohio State has to win, right? And win big. And we've got two seasons now where the Buckeyes have lost to Michigan. And one of those seasons, they didn't make the college football playoff. Neither did they win the Big Ten. How much do you think, I don't want to say pressure on Ryan Day, but just the fact that it hasn't been as successful as it was prior has made an impact on, okay, I can adjust a little bit here, maybe go to the portal a little bit more to fill out needs where a year ago, maybe we try and just develop some guys and and don't tap into it as much. I mean, I think it's significant. This is a bottom line business. Um, Ryan, I put it in the piece that I wrote. Ryan Day's record is historic. Like, he doesn't qualify, but if you stretch out his winning career winning percentage, it would be number one all time in college football history, at least among the coaches who have coached for 10 years. Um, And I'm sure Ohio State fans saw the headline that I wrote, like closing the national championship gap at the portal. And we're critical of that because Ohio State was essentially one point away from winning a national title in 2023. I believe that. I think they would have beat TCU in the national championship game as well had they survived the Georgia game. But I would argue that when you've come so close so many times, like Ohio State has, you lose to Georgia in the semifinals this year, you lose in the national championship game in 2020. I forget the season, but even that semifinal game against Clemson uh, where there was um, some weird calls down the stretch. Like Ohio State's been close so many times, and I think you need to do whatever you can to close that gap. And that might just be depth. And in some cases, like it might be an improved secondary. We've seen Ohio State be very aggressive here. I just, I think in a college football environment where there's extreme urgency, if you're the head coach at a place like Ohio State, you have to be as aggressive as possible. We've seen Kirby Smart add multiple players in the transfer portal this offseason, and he has as good a roster as anybody in college football. And I think for Ryan Day, making that adjustment this year is in line with some of the expectations and some of the pressure, frankly, that's on him right now. And I, I certainly think it created some urgency for him to do so. I, you, you mentioned that pressure. I think myself and probably most of the people watching this are, are really Ohio State dialed in. From a national perspective, do you think that there's more pressure? I mean, you, you do make the playoffs, so that helps. And you obviously play well if you're Ohio State. But do you do you get the sense, you know, when not outside of Columbus, Ohio, that there's the sense that that there is some pressure on him to to deliver a little bit more? Personally, I think the narrative that surrounded Ryan Day over the last year is kind of ridiculous. Like he's one at a rate that very few head coaches have. But at the same time, like he hasn't beaten Michigan since 2019. Like right, like that's that's the standard that. That's the standard at Ohio State. Um, he hasn't won a national title yet. Um, that's what people like Jim Trestle and Urban Meyer, Woody Hay- and others did before him. I'm sorry, I don't want to slip up on the coaching. That's <laughs> there, getting my rivalries confused. But um, yeah, I mean, that's the expectation. So I, I think like just not only like just from 30,000 feet, like talking to other coaches in the industry, like you can see how the Ohio State fan base has reacted in a lot of ways to the results the last couple of years. And I think a lot of that's unfair for Ryan Day, but I, I think it's certainly fair to say there's pressure on him. I, I don't think it's like, I don't think Ohio State's going to fire him next week or any or anything like that. But like he has arguably the best job in college football. I think if you just take away the names of the head coaches at the schools and like recent history, if you think about resources, path to a championship, investment, um, Ohio State has as good as argument as anybody to be the best job in college football. And when you have that role, there, there are certainly some increased expectations when you don't win quickly. Yeah. I, uh, again, we're talking to Chris Hummer, 247 Sports National Writer, and, and he does a lot of stuff with the transfer portal. And so we're discussing the Buckeyes and kind of their, their change in philosophy this offseason. Um, again, if you have any questions, Ohio State transfer portal, Ohio State anything, throw them in the chat. We'll get to some of those later on. Um, Chris, you and I were talking before about sort of that pressure, but also Ryan Day came into this job in a different way than a lot of coaches do. He, he'd been an assistant in the NFL, been an assistant in Ohio State, but it's not like he was a head coach somewhere else and then came to Ohio State. This is, this is his first head coaching job. You mentioned his record, but w- learning on the job, especially with all the changes that have happened in college football over the last few years, 
how difficult do you think that is for a guy who, yet Kirby Smart, I guess, is a similar comparison, uh, but he was working directly under the best to ever do it. How, how difficult do you think that is with, with kind of everything that's gone, throw COVID in there for a guy like Ryan Bay? I mean, I'm sure it's difficult, but it's it's difficult on every single head coach and Ryan Day. I I don't want to like I don't want to like say Ryan Day hasn't earned what he's gotten because it's not easy to follow a legend and Urban Meyer is a legend and even if you have the infrastructure in place, it's not always easy to continue winning. We've seen plenty of situations historically where somebody takes over and they don't continue winning. So nobody should take anything away from Ryan Day in that regard. He's earned his victory so far. And he's maintained Ohio State status as an elite program, which I think a lot of people would have probably predicted wouldn't happen after Urban Meyer left. Like there was a lot of questions about that. But to say his to say his job has been more difficult than other people adjusting those changes, I think would be um, I think that would be I don't know how accurate that would be. I will say like Ohio State's in a pretty unique position um, with the way it recruits. So it had a little bit more to deal with, especially from an NIL perspective than maybe some other schools. And maybe the circumstances, not maybe, the circumstances surrounding the NIL situation in Ohio State were a lot different than some people in the Southeast, especially, that were a little more aggressive coming out. So that's a difficult change to navigate. And I think you also, in the Big Ten, have a slightly different administrative situation to navigate with some of those changes um and ohio state and frankly michigan as well and i guess i probably shouldn't say that name on this podcast but like both both schools experienced a similar thing with nil early on because i don't want to say they were behind but i think their administrations were more reticent to embrace it in the same way as other people and that that's certainly a challenge for ryan day because you have other schools coming in and trying to poach his roster um, so from that perspective, yeah, I, I think there were some challenges, um, and that was a long-winded response, but I, I would argue he still had more advantages than most people. Yeah, no, I think I, I, I certainly agree with that. And I think you make a good point with NIL and that takes us back to the transfer portal. I know, you know, we have formed a relationship with, with one of the collectives, uh, the foundation here, and there, you know, there've been two or three others that have emerged. They've all been very involved with some of these transfer portal guys. Um, you know, I, I, I've seen, I've talked to people that have said they've had to, you know, get involved with that. I think that probably changes the philosophy too. You know, you're coming out of high school. You haven't necessarily experienced this. You get an offer from a guy from a program like Ohio state. Uh, I think that is different than when you come out of the transfer portal, especially now with NIL at other schools. So I think that has made a difference. Um, I also think Ryan Day has just had to adapt. You know, you can come in with one philosophy, right? And in anything, this this applies to his coaching style. It applies to the way he handles things. Um, I think he's he had an idea. Look, we can handle it this way. Maybe the sport, maybe whatever, ha- has changed that, and that has made him adapt with the transfer portal. Is do you see that in him a little bit as well? Uh, I I think he should get credit. Like some coaches aren't going to adapt, and. Right. Like whether it's worked or not, like you could argue it hasn't in some ways. I think it's probably still early to tell, but he, he turned over his coaching staff last year and a willingness to adapt. And this off season, we've seen him embrace the portal in a way he hasn't in the past in a way to adapt. And I, I think that's a credit to him. Um, obviously the results have to come eventually, but sure. like, I think the best coaches in this sport find a way to adapt to the times. And we've seen Ryan day do that. And like, I, I think this would be a very, like, we'd be having a very different conversation about Ryan Day had Georgia not made that field goal, like, um, yeah. like four months ago, like, or Marvin Harrison didn't get hurt, you know what I mean? So, like, this could be a very different conversation altogether. But I think, given the circumstances, Ryan Day has been pretty nimble. Um, I think maybe if you're Ohio State, you would have maybe liked to be a little bit more aggressive in the first transfer portal window to shore up some potential needs at offensive tackle. Um, if you're talking about things that you might have changed, but it's they clearly went after the secondary. I think they added two of the best secondary pieces in the transfer market, and the trans and the secondary, which was a problem in 2022, is going to be better for it in 2023. And that's just one of the small ways you've seen them adapt. Um, they maybe didn't add enough pieces last offseason in the secondary that they needed to, and it cost them in 2022. And that was clearly a point of emphasis in 2023. Yeah, I think it's interesting because as you said results-based business 
you look at the roster and, and I still think Ohio state will be, I don't think Ohio state's going to ever jump into the mix of some of those teams you mentioned off the top, but eight player, eight new players is definitely more than I expected. And not all of them are necessarily guys that are going to come in and start right away. I mean, you've got a, a quarterback in Tristan Gebbia who admitted he's, while he's here to play, he's also here to learn because he wants to be an assistant coach at some point. So he's not really in the fact in the competition for a quarterback, but that does add some interesting depth there of a guy who, who's played some football, right? So it's not always, you know, USC last year brought in a ton of guys that played right away. You can use it in a different way to, to add depth or to add guys down the line, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I mean, I think I'm looking at their class right now and the large majority of those players have multiple years of eligibility left. Yeah. So, and I mean, like along the offensive line, for example, like Josh Simmons and Victor Cutler are both starters from the G5 level. I don't know if either one of them is going to come in right away and start, but right. like what they do is make your two deep better. And I think talking to the player personnel person at a power five school, that has been very successful in the portal. Their philosophy, they told me once, was if they can make your two deep better, you take them. And that's true at Ohio State, too. Like, those two players make your two deep better. And if things get weird halfway through the season, now Ohio State has a swing tackle and an interior lineman that can play and who have experienced snaps. And you could say the same thing about Tywin Malone. Like, I, I don't expect Tywin Malone to come in and start for Ohio State, but he is experienced depth and somebody with multiple years of eligibility and a ceiling that maybe under Ohio state's coaching that you could still potentially explore. So these, you could say the same thing about Lorenzo styles as he switches to playing defense. Like yeah. there, there are names in the portal that might not help you tomorrow, but they could help you during the season if somebody gets hurt. And additionally, they could help you long-term. So I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, certainly. Um, yeah. And again, a shift in approach before, like I mentioned, it was mostly the Justin Fields, the trade, sermons that, that Ohio State brought in guys that they needed somebody right away and now I think you're you're adapting I'm honestly a little surprised that Ryan Day wasn't more interested in the transfer portal given his NFL background and free agency and and stuff like that and he still references a lot of that um, let me ask you this just to kind of get you out of here when you look at the, the impact that the transfer portal has made across the sport, how you mentioned some of the top dogs in terms of Georgia and Ohio state haven't done it, but how, how big, how much has it changed what various schools can do, how quickly you can reload things like that for, for all sports that even, even when we're not talking Ohio state that hasn't gotten as involved. Uh, it's completely like in the last five years, the sport has completely changed in terms of how you think about roster construction. Colorado is currently at 44 transfer commits. That is more than half of your scholarship allotment. Yeah. So in one off season, Deion Sanders has turned over more than half of his scholarship roster. Um, you couldn't do that three years ago. It's not just because of the transfer portal. It's also because the um, 25 player initial counter rule has been lifted, but like there's just, there's, you don't really have to wait anymore. If you're a new head coach, like you have the ability to turn over your roster and your image as quickly as possible. Um, you sign less high school players than ever. If I was Ohio State, I'd still keep signing high school players because you get better high school players than everybody else for the most part. And those are the players that when they enter the portal, teams are going to still want. But if you're like, if you're Auburn and you're not recruiting as well as the other SEC teams and you have a new head coach, you can take 16 transfers in the same offseason and turn over your roster. So I, I think it's completely changed the way schools look at roster construction it's completely changed the way high school recruiting works in a way too, because there's less offers and less spots and it's changed college scouting departments. Like Ohio state has a full-time college transfer portal scout, like an advanced scout whose one job basically is to look at other people's rosters. So when the transfer portal season comes open, if Ohio state sees somebody that they think would be a fit, they've already done the eval portion of that. And like, it's created a whole new industry there. So it's just, it's completely changed what we know about roster construction and player personnel in the sport. Do you think it's working in the sense that like Texas A&M was the, what was the team that lost a bunch of guys um, to the transfer portal, young guys that didn't play right away. We've seen USC have success. I mean, across the board is the transfer portal doing what 
it's intended to do and, and helping teams, do you think? Or is it hurting things because, like you mentioned, less high school guys are, are getting offers from certain schools? I think like anything in life, it's just who you are and like okay. the situation. Like um, I think it's creating agency for players, but it's not necessarily helping all players because not all of them make informed decisions. I think it's helping a lot of schools um, to fill holes. But like if I'm a G5 school and my best player goes in the portal because somebody tampered with them, I'm pretty upset, even though I can still be better on the whole with the transfer portal. Um, I think what I, what I would say about this is, is you're doing a bad job in the transfer portal if you're not making your roster better for the most part. There's almost no excuse. On the whole, you might lose one or two key pieces. But on the whole, if you're not making your roster better through the transfer portal, you're not doing your job well enough there because there are plenty of opportunities for depth and to upgrade at positions, especially on the Power 5 level. So it is technically working as intended. Players have more agency. Um, Schools have more freedom to do what they want. But there are always going to be individual losers in these changes yeah well awesome chris i appreciate it uh i think you brought some good insight from a from a different perspective than i could offer and, and what we hear on Bucknuts on the regular basis uh, if you want to read chris's story it's still up on the Bucknuts homepage. Uh, on there he put it out yesterday and my story which was again kind of they're from different perspectives was earlier this month so both of those over on Bucknuts. Chris, thanks again for your time. We'll, we'll have you back on at some point here on the happy hour to talk more national stuff as we get into get closer to the season. How about that? Yeah, sounds good. Next time I'll have an actual beer uh, ready to go. So that's, that. that's fine. First time we get it. Second time now. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate it. All right. That was Chris Hummer, uh, one of our 247 Sports National College Football Writers. Does a great job with covering all sorts of stuff. So if you, uh, if you like the sport as a whole, Chris is a good guy to follow on Twitter and, and read his stuff. He does a really good job, really plugged in. One thing I, I was going to bring up um, about the transfer portal that I don't think gets talked about enough, and that quote that I read off the top about um, – or yeah, the quote that I read off the top is that, you know, guys, Ryan Day doesn't want transfers coming in and jumping somebody else in line. I think what that has also done, and I, and I throw that in with the culture, is it keeps guys in the program. And roster retention is as big of a deal as it is adding guys. You know, you're basically re-recruiting a lot of guys, especially guys that aren't playing or aren't playing as quickly as they want to be. Uh, I know everybody heard rumors about guys that the big name was Marvin Harrison Jr., to this day, I don't believe Marvin Harrison Jr. was ever intending on leaving Ohio State this offseason. But the point is, you have to re-recruit even, even some guys that are playing quite a bit. There are ways, back-channel ways, for schools to get in contact with these kids. So Ohio State has done a very good job. Now, there certainly have been guys that have left and had success elsewhere. You know, the, the two biggest, not that the, this was a, a graduate transfer, but obviously Joe Burrow. I don't know if you're that hurt by that at the time because you have Dwayne Haskins and then uh, Jameson Williams, who obviously went to Alabama. Both those guys go on to play for national titles at different SEC schools. But for the most part, Ohio State, if you go and look at the numbers of even some of the, the big programs, guys leaving the program, they've done a good job of keeping this roster together. Uh, the guys that they specifically know they need and want are, are getting taken care of. Um, they, they do a great job with that. And, you know, I think that's as important as the guys that you add out of the transfer portal and something we probably don't talk enough about. And actually right now it's, it's, it's probably hindering Ohio state a little bit, how good they are at that because the Buckeyes, because of the, the eight guys they've added from the transfer portal are over the scholarship limit and they have time to, to get that sorted out. Things will happen. Guys will enter the portal. There may be some injuries that happen that, that guys have to take medical redshirts. Those things tend to work themselves out all right. But other schools, I think you would see more guys having left and maybe you're not in this situation. So there's a, certainly more good to being able to retain the guys on your roster. But also when you're over the scholarship limit and guys don't want to leave, uh, it does create a, a bit of an issue. So something that they, they will certainly navigate if you have any questions, whether it be Transfer Portal, Ohio State, we've had a couple in there. Throw them into the chat if you're watching this live. I will try and get to some of those at the end. Um, I did want to 
while we're on the topic of transfer portal, I did want to discuss the guys that have committed to Ohio State from the portal um, and kind of go through and, and give my thoughts on how these guys may fit into this team. We've discussed some of them already through spring practice and, and whatnot, actually a number of them, but kind of projecting where they'll end up, what what we see out of them. Um, and I'm going to just go in, in the order in which they're ranked on uh, the 247 page and not necessarily the uh, the order they committed or anything. But I'll start with Taiwan Malone, the defensive lineman who is now just recently committed to Ohio State this past week. Um, he's a guy who played two seasons at Ole Miss, was a guy Ohio State recruited coming out of high school in New Jersey, and a guy that, that Larry Johnson liked quite a bit. But Malone also was a big baseball guy and played both baseball and defensive line at Ole Miss. I think if he probably had his way, it sounds like, from, from what I've, I've heard about him, I, I don't know the kid, but it sounds like baseball was kind of his, his first love. Uh, but football seems to be a, a better path to success down the road. If you look at it, the, the numbers aren't eye-popping from Taiwan Malone, and, or Tyrone Malone, excuse me. Um, I was actually even a little surprised that Ohio State was interested in another defensive tackle. You've got your top three already in Michael Hall Jr., Tyleek Williams and uh, Ty Hamilton. And then Jaden McKenzie is in that mix, Hero Canoe. So it's not like that was a position of need for Ohio State. And, and I think this is a good first example of what we were talking about earlier, that Ohio State has shifted its focus. You know, before it was, we need a quarterback. Okay, let's go get Justin Fields. And maybe even you could even argue with that example, need wasn't the right word. Tate Martell was there. Uh, but Ryan Day, in his mind, thought the Buckeyes needed a quarterback. We all know how that turned out. Jonah Jackson, you need an offensive lineman. You go get him. Well, now this is a guy, it's not exactly a need. Sure, you'd love to add some depth and some experience to that defensive line. But adding a guy like that is is more of more indicative of the shift. And as Chris was saying, you, know, you, you make your two deep better with a guy like that, right? So... Do I expect Malone to start day one? No, probably not. But will he be in that rotation in the interior of the defensive line? I think so. Uh, it would not surprise me if that, that four-man rotation Larry Johnson has used, because if you look at least the last two years, they've had four guys get at least 250 snaps on the interior of the defensive line. So I think he's in that mix with those guys I mentioned earlier. He also has three years of eligibility remaining, so – in theory, you could lose all three of those guys, Hall, Tyleek Williams, uh, and Ty Hamilton, after next season. And now you have a guy who has played some in the SEC, will have played some in the Big Ten, and, and he can step up into a bigger role. So that's kind of how I see him stepping in. I could be wrong. He could come in and work his way up the depth chart, and we'll, we'll certainly pay attention to that throughout the offseason and in the preseason. But if I had to guess right now, I'd say he's a rotational guy, at least to start with Ohio State. Lorenzo Styles, a name people probably are very familiar with. His dad played at Ohio State. His brother is currently on the roster at safety. Styles was a wide receiver at Al or excuse me, at Notre Dame the last two seasons. He caught a pass, a, the 54-yard, I think it was, pass against Ohio State early in that the game at the horseshoe last fall. He will not be playing wide receiver at Ohio State. He started shifting to cornerback. This offseason, while at Notre Dame, uh, went in the transfer portal, transfer portal a little bit late uh, towards the end of Notre Dame's spring practice. From my understanding and talking to our Notre Dame guys, the thought was that if he was still around and there, there was some awareness by the Notre Dame staff that he may enter the portal, that he was going to play mostly cornerback in the spring game. He was, he was trying to make that transition, but elected to make that transition to cornerback elsewhere. This is another guy that I think, like Taiwan Malone, is different than what Ohio State would have taken in the past. Now, he's, Styles is different than Malone in the fact that he has the familial connections to Ohio State. He's from just outside of Columbus. So it's a guy that you maybe you don't even take if he doesn't have those connections to the program. And you look at a guy who's, who's 
converting back to corner after playing two years of wide receiver in college. But because of that, because they are familiar with the family, familiar with the player to some degree, I think that's a reason that you take him and you look to develop him on in the secondary. Another guy who I think gives you depth at those, at those positions. If in my mind, Denzel Burke is, is your obvious cornerback one, then Jordan Hancock and we'll get to Davis and Igbenosin in a little bit. Um, are probably your top three there. Lorenzo Styles is going to be in the mix with some of those younger guys, despite being a little bit of an older guy, as he adjusts to that position. Um, now, it's a position he played in high school, so it's not like it's completely foreign to him, but I do think it will take some time, and I don't expect Lorenzo Styles to, to step in and be a factor right away, just given um, you know kind of the, the adjustment he will have to make to not only – changing schools and, and coming back home, so to speak, but also switching positions and, and whatnot. Uh, moving down the list, Josh Simmons. We mentioned him. He is the tackle Ohio State has been looking for in the portal. The, the, the tackle scenario has been well documented. I'm sure most of you are familiar with it. Dewan Jones, Paris Johnson Jr. leave. Ohio State looked significantly for a tight end or excuse me for an offensive lineman in the portal during the the first window at the end of last season beginning of the off season offered I want to say four scholarships maybe could have that number wrong but somewhere around there didn't get any of them for various reasons so you wait you see what you've got during spring practice you have Josh Fryer playing at left tackle you have Zen Mikowski and Tegra Shabola mostly taking the reps, splitting the reps at right tackle. You see how those guys do. You come out of spring. The, the decision was that they could still use some help at that position. Now, Josh Simmons, again, and Chris brought this up too, is he a day one starter? Well, he started 12, 13 games last year at San Diego State, but, but that's a little bit of a different level than what you're going to see at Ohio State. Can he come in and, and play probably that right tackle position? There's, there's a chance um, and probably a fairly good one. I think what he has over Zen Mikowski and Tegra Shabola is that experience. He's played a season of football at the college level, something those guys can't say. Uh, they've played bits and pieces here late in games, but this is a guy who, who has a lot more experience. So I think you've got uh, – you, you've got that going for him. He committed a decent amount of penalties last year. Uh, so that's something Ohio State's going to have to clean up if he is going to play right away. But, you know, a guy who I think you feel a bit more comfortable with because of his experience. And, and that's not to say that Zen or Tegra can't win this job. I still think they can. And, you know, I think Josh Fryer is, is probably – Ryan Day wouldn't say for sure he was the starting left tackle, but I think that's the way things are going. He was – almost exclusively taking the first team reps throughout spring. Um, but yeah, Josh Simmons is a guy who I think is, is interesting to keep an eye on in terms of that battle. And, and I do think it is still now a three-man battle instead of a two-man battle. So again, a guy who can, can step in and maybe give you something this year right away, but uh, can, can also be a depth guy and continue to work and develop it at this level. Jukad Carter, the next guy here on this list, safety Syracuse played plenty of, snaps at Syracuse it would surprise me assuming health if Jihad Carter is not a starter for Ohio State in the secondary this season uh you know he's while nothing is promised with the Buckeyes when they they land guys out of the portal I have to imagine that a guy with that much experience a guy with his size he's 6'2 198 pounds they're expecting him to play that slot nickelback position. Um, he he has a different body type than Tanner McAllister, who played it last year for Ohio State, or Cameron Martinez, who was who is his main competition for that job. Now, throughout spring, Cameron Martinez took the reps with the ones, mostly. Jihad Carter worked with the twos before he suffered a knee injury, which isn't supposed to be long term. I have a feeling, and this is just my suspicion, that that was more of a, we're not just going to hand you the job. You've got to come in and win it. Um, 
compete with Cameron Martinez. He's the guy who's been in the building. We don't want to just dump him off to the second team, give him a shot as well. And I do think that, you know, that this is a competition between the two, but to me, what Jihad Carter offers with his size, with his experience, with his talent, I think he's, he was a really good player for Syracuse. I, I just can't see him not starting. Um, and I would say that maybe you could move him to one of the safety positions, one of the other safety positions. And Perry Eliano, the, the safeties coach did mention he could play any of the three, but you kind of have a, you know, it's at, the bandit position, you've got Lathan Ransom, you've got Sonny Styles. There's not really room there. Uh, the adjuster, Josh Proctor, Kai Stokes, um, probably your top two there. So it's not like there's an obvious need at those other positions either. Maybe if things don't work out with Josh Proctor and you don't feel like Kai Stokes is ready, maybe you drop him, drop uh, Jihad Carter back to the, the deep safety, that adjuster position, and Kevin Martinez plays the nickel slot corner, slot safety, whatever you want to call it position. Uh, it's hard for me to imagine that he's not on the field a lot this season. Again, we're kind of going through these transfers as we were talking about them earlier, given my perspective on them. Um, if you have questions about anything, Ohio State football, basketball, I'll try and answer recruiting questions, but that's not always my forte. But the transfer portal, all of that, throw them in the chat. If you're watching that live, I'm going to answer some of those at the end. We've already got a couple that that I'm going to address. But the more the merrier, as they say. Continuing on this list, John Froman, long snapper. I think that one's pretty simple. He came here to be Ohio State's long snapper. He's on scholarship. He will be your long snapper this year. You hope that if you're a Buckeye fan, you don't hear much about John Froman because that means he is doing his job and nothing has gone wrong. The, the, the long snapper is not one we want to be talking about very much. And, and if you are, it's, it's probably not for a good reason. So he'll come in, he'll play that position. I think that's pretty cut and dry. Uh, Davis Enigbunosin, another Ole Miss player. Ironically, both him and Taiwan Malone, both come from Ole Miss, both also from the state of New Jersey. Coincidence? I don't know. Uh, when I walked in, and I, I've said this before, when I walked into the first spring practice, we were able to watch. And there was a group of the secondaries kind of split up. And there was a group that was close to us get doing their, their early workouts. And Davis and Igbenosin is wearing number 20 this year, which was what Sonny Styles wore last year. And I thought it was Sonny Styles. And Sonny Styles is, if you've ever been around or seen him, um, you know, if you've, you've watched him play, he is not uh, he is not small. I'll put it this way. The Ohio State roster lists Sonny Styles at six foot four, two hundred and twenty-two pounds. Now Davison Igbenosin is listed at let's see what Ohio State has in here. Six foot two oh three. Um, our database, which was I assume from his his old miss stuff, had him at six two. Ohio State's usually pretty good at that. My point is Davison Igbenosin stood out to me. Uh, in fact, I thought he was Sonny Styles at first before I realized Sonny had changed his number. Um, that is not a small safety or a small cornerback, excuse me. If you look at the Ohio State roster um, in terms of the, the other corners on the roster, um, the only one you got Jordan Hancock and, and Denzel Burke that are both listed 6 1. I've seen him stand next to us. He's taller than those guys, and he's definitely thicker than those guys. Igbenosin spent the spring repping with the twos, rotating with Jihad Carter at the ones. Um, I, or I'm sorry, not Jihad Carter, uh, Jordan Hancock. If, if I had to guess day one, I think you have Denzel Burke. Maybe Jordan Hancock holds off. You know, We're talking first rep of the, the first game against Indiana. Maybe Jordan Hancock holds off Davis and Igmanosin, but this is a kid who played in the SEC last year and played well. Um, I know they're very excited about Jordan Hancock. I know we didn't get to see a ton of him last year because of the injuries, but I, 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 I have to think that Davis and Igmanosin plays quite a bit this year. I, I really liked what we saw from him in the spring, and I think he, he could very much push to be a starter. Um, I think he makes – this secondary better as I do with Jihad Carter, which is why I think both guys are uh, pretty quick contributors for, for this team. Victor Cutler uh, came from 
Louisiana Monroe, which not the Power 5 level or the Big Ten level, similar to what we were saying with uh, Josh Simmons. I talked with Victor, Victor Cutler uh, during spring. I got a chance to see him at an NIL event. Really like this kid. Uh, he made a comment to me, and you can read this if you, if you find – go back and search and find this story, um, you know, that he – he has two years of eligibility left. He's behind a lot of other offensive linemen in terms of trying to get to the NFL. He didn't come to, to not play or not do everything he can to play. Um, and he's probably said it in a nicer way than that because he's, he's a pretty nice guy. But point being, this is a guy who expects to push to be on the field. Now, during spring practice, he was almost always with the twos. There were some times when he repped with the ones. Carson Hinsman was the, the main man at center. You're going to get Jacob James back uh, here this summer and, and going into fall camp. So to me, I don't know if Victor Cutler wins that job at the center spot. What I think you do have in, with Victor Cutler is a guy who can play really any of the five offensive line positions if you needed him in a pinch, but specifically anywhere in the interior. If you have an injury to whoever wins the center job, Donovan Jackson or um, uh, Matthew Jones, I think you could step him in um, or put him in there. I think he can step up and, and play that role if needed. I don't know if he starts this year. I could see maybe next season if if you needed it. But if Carson Hinsman wins the center job, he's probably uh, going to keep that job for a couple of years at least. Maybe Victor Cutler then becomes a starter at one of the guard spots after you lose probably Donovan Jackson, definitely Matthew Jones. So to me, he's a bit more of a project type uh as opposed to a guy who's going to come in and, and plug and play right away. And then Tristan Gebbia, the, the final transfer that Ohio State got, the quarterback, we touched on him a little bit earlier when we were talking about uh, kind of the way Ohio State's done things here. This is a guy, I just wrote about him too, if you want to read about this. A guy who came in and played at Oregon State, actually started his career at Nebraska. This is going to be his seventh year of college football. He brings experience. He's played in some big games. Not a ton of reps, but way more than the two quarterbacks that you have that are starting or contending to be the starter. And Tristan Gebbia's post-playing career career uh, hopes are to be a coach. And what a place to learn than under a guy like Ryan Day and Corey Dennis. And even though Brian Hartline is an offensive coordinator, the rest of the, the offensive staff, just to kind of experience what – it, it's like, and, and he worked with Jonathan Smith, the head coach at, at Oregon State, who is also a, a bright offensive mind. So that's more of a pro style system. He talked about how now he gets to, to kind of see the hurry up spread stuff that, that Ohio State runs. So look, a great experience for him. The way I put it was it was a win for all sides. And now you've got a backup, what should be your third string quarterback who has played in some big games. He played in the rivalry game, the Civil War between Oregon and Oregon State. Uh, has put up serviceable numbers. Fans got to see him in the spring game. He doesn't have the biggest arm, but he's fairly accurate. If you needed him to step in in a pinch, I think Tristan Gebbia could do that for you. But most importantly, it's the experience he brings to the, the, the desire to work with these younger quarterbacks to help make them better that I think is going to be his biggest contributions to this team. Um, I think if it gets to the point where Tristan Gebbia has to get in the game, Either you're in a really bad spot or you're Ohio State and you're in a really good spot because we all know what happened the last time the third string quarterback had to step in and, and play some some really big games in Cardell Jones. So I don't know if Tristan Gebbia is quite Cardell Jones, but I do think he provides some value that may not be seen on the field. It would not surprise me if throughout the season when we talk to Kyle McCord or Devin Brown, whichever quarterback wins the, the starting job, if Tristan Gebbia's name doesn't come up a decent amount in terms of helping with this, helping with that, uh, things like that. I, I do think it's a smart addition. And one, I think Ohio State can offer guys in the future a experienced quarterback, maybe not the most talented guy who wants to go down that coaching path. This could be the start of kind of that, you know, uh, that role at Ohio State because you're not always going to have a quarterback room that features C.J. Stroud, Kyle McCord, and Devin Brown. Sometimes you're going to need that third guy uh, maybe even a fourth guy to uh, 
to provide some depth and some leadership and some experience and, and whatnot. So I think that's the role that Tristan Gebbia can, uh, can fill for the Buckeyes. I'm going to switch over. We've got a couple questions. If you have any more Ohio State questions, regardless of what the topic is, and you're watching this live, throw them in the chat here, and, and we'll answer those. Um, the first one was from Tony Lightfoot. He said, do you really believe Day will give up play calling with the pressure to win now? Uh, my answer is very much no. I do not believe Ryan Day is going to give up play calling, at least not this year. Look, I think there's a lot on Ryan Day's plate, and I think he realizes that, and I think that he has figured out that he needs to adjust because of that, and especially today's college football. You're not just coaching the guys, calling plays, that stuff you're dealing with, the transfer portal stuff we talked about earlier. There's NIL stuff to worry about. There's other drama that happens within within a football team, right? So I, I think Ryan Day has realized that. And I think that's where some of the initial talk happened about giving up play calling. But and I've said this all offseason. If you're Ryan Day, who is arguably he's definitely one of the best offensive play callers in college football. There's a reason that he's been in such high demand. We we hear it most off seasons about NFL teams interested in him and, and things like that. And we're talking head coaching jobs now. But the reason is because of what he can do, A, to develop quarterbacks, but B, his offensive play calling. Um, you've seen it in games like the Georgia game, like the game against Clemson a few years ago. Um, you know, you've seen it in some of the, the regular season games as well. I can't imagine that if you're Ryan Day, you are going to – give up your best trait, the thing that has made your football team good these last few years, so good these last few years while the defense has struggled to Brian Hartline in year one of being an offensive coordinator. And this is no slight to Brian Hartline at all. I think Brian Hartline as an offensive coordinator was a really good move. Um, not only does that help you retain Brian Hartline, but I think he's going to can develop in that role really nicely. But in year one of him being an offensive coordinator, it's not like Ryan Hartline has experience as an offensive coordinator elsewhere and then just came back to Ohio State. He was the wide receivers coach, as you all know. I think that Ryan Day, for at least this next year, lets Brian Hartline you know, very much be involved in the process, as they all are, uh, and kind of learn it a little bit more. And maybe in a year from now, 2024, maybe that's when you pass the baton. Uh, I think that it would be – it would just be a big risk to give play calling up for this, this upcoming season, um, especially one where you're going to have a new starting quarterback. The offensive line has questions, things like that. You want to get as much right about this offense as possible, right? Um, you assume the defense is going to jump, but you know that the offense has to be elite and so one of the things you know that is elite about this offense is Ryan Day and his play calling. I don't think this is the year he gives it up. What I will say about Ryan Day's play calling is I think it needs, I think there needs to be that kind of aggression uh, that you see, you saw against Georgia, you saw against Clemson, you've seen in some other games. I think that needs to be a year round thing. And Ryan Day is, is a really nice guy. Um, I know he doesn't want to run up scores. You've seen it. I know fans have been frustrated at times that, um, you know, when the backups come in, they don't get to throw the, you know, Kyle McCord hasn't thrown the ball very much, this, that, and the other thing. I'm not saying you need to run up scores on teams or anything like that. What I am saying is that the, the aggressive, the, the energy that Ryan Day had, and, and it's hard to explain before that Georgia game and during that Georgia game, you as the Buckeyes need that from week one. Actually, you need that from the preseason, throughout the season, and then into the college football playoff. I think that to try and bring that out in certain games does a disservice to the team. That's the guy Ryan Day needs to be all the time. Um, and you know, I know you can beat a lot of these Big Ten teams, a lot of the teams on the schedule by just going out there and, and you know, you don't need the juice. But when Ryan Day brings the juice, when Ryan Day calls these games like it's his last, and sometimes it potentially is. Clemson, you know, you get to the playoffs, Clemson, Georgia. Um, that's when the Buckeyes are at their best. And I, I think you haven't seen that enough during the season. It hasn't always cost the Buckeyes. I think you haven't seen enough against Michigan. And that's a big one, I think, where you need to, to turn the tables there. So 
if I'm going to complain, so to speak, at all about Ryan Day, and that's really not what I'm doing. I just think that, you know, Urban Meyer's energy was the same from week one to week 12, 13, 14, 15, whatever it was. Um, you knew what you were going to get. And, and I, like, right, the way Ryan Day was acting before the game against Georgia um, on the sidelines and, and even before the team came out of the tunnel, that's the energy I think you need every, every game from him. He needs to be that guy all the time. But no, to answer the question from Tony, I don't think he's giving up play calling at least this season. Um, this is not as much of a question, but Larry Brake, we were talking about this earlier in terms of NIL and Ryan Day making adjustments. He says, good point on this being Ryan Day's first coaching job. We were watching a young coach learn from his mistakes, and I think he will grow into one of the greatest coaches in the sport. The times, the times he is coaching under unique with NIL COVID and league expansion, I think that's absolutely true. And I think that we touched on it with, the transfer, but I think it's true. And, and kind of what I was just saying that, look, there's, there's a lot that Ryan day is learning as he goes through all this. And he has a lot of good people around him. I think having Kevin Wilson these last few years, it was, it was really important for him, but there were going to be mistakes made. It wasn't always going to be perfect. Um, and, and even when it looked perfect, sort of in those first couple of years, uh, there, there were definitely some things that, you know, some mistakes made. And so I think Ryan Day has done a great job of admitting, okay, this needs to change. This needs to change. This needs to change and, and making those adjustments, especially on the offensive side of the ball. And now I think you're seeing him be more of the, the overall manager of the team as, as opposed to just handling offensive things. I think he's, he's very, you know, maybe not as quick as fans would like to adjust, but I think he's done a good job of that, the transfer portal being the latest thing. So I wanted to bring that up because it wasn't just the transfer portal where we've seen that. Um, you know, I think he's had to adjust to a lot of different things. Um, we've got, I may get this wrong, Rosé9. Uh, how big of a jump do we think Mecca and Cade Stover take? Uh, he says he thinks Mecca has first-round potential and Cade has day two, three potential. Emeka Buka, and I have a plan to write about this at some point in time, um, maybe one of the more underrated players coming into this season. And I'm not just talking about Ohio State. I'm talking about in college football. The fact that, a Marvin, that Marvin Harrison had the year that he did overshadowed how good Emeka Buka, who played a decent chunk of the season injured, had. Uh, 74 catches, 1,151 yards, and 10 touchdowns. On most Ohio State teams, that's the best receiver on the team, stats-wise. Um, and instead, you know, he comes up a little bit short behind Marvin Harrison in, in those statistical categories. Obviously, Marvin Harrison has attracted a lot of the attention, and rightfully so. I'm, I'm not saying that that shouldn't be, but the the fact that you can have a guy put up those numbers and not get talked about very much is, uh, is kind of crazy. I think Mecca is in line, especially if he stays healthy, he's in line for a big year. Teams are certainly going to try and cover Mecca, or sorry, cover Marvin Harrison even more than they did a year ago. So yes, I think Mecca Buka's in for a big year. Cade Stover. I really like that Cade came back. I think, he can continue to grow. Remember, this is a guy who transitioned from tight end or from defense to tight end, then went back to defense briefly, and now last year was was full on tight end. Look, the numbers speak for themselves in terms of what an Ohio State tight end has done in the past. 36 catches, 406 yards, and five touchdowns. He's a guy that I don't think gets talked about enough when we talk about the college football playoff game and how that ended against Georgia. Cade Stover left that game in, in the first quarter, if you guys remember. Had to go to the hospital and, and fortunately ended up everything being pretty much okay. If Cade Stover's out there and, you know, say Marv still has to, has to leave the game, that's another weapon that Georgia's defense has to account for. And, you know, instead they're able to cover Mecca. You know, you're throwing, I think it was the third down pass to, to Xavier Johnson. You know, I think you trust – maybe not trust Cade Stover more than Xavier Johnson, but it's just another, another weapon that the, the, any opposing defense, but Georgia's defense in this example has to, has to be aware of, or if they're not, I think Cade could have punished them. And now you're talking about a shorter field goal, maybe even a touchdown. 
Uh, and I think that game's – I think Cade could have helped change that game had he been able to stay healthy. So I like Cade a lot. Um, in terms of the NFL draft, I definitely think Emeka is a first-round guy. Uh, Cade, I think it will depend what he does this year. Talent-wise, he can do a little bit of everything. And, and I should mention, Cade also played injured last season. I think it definitely affected his blocking kind of in the second half of the season. I think back to the Penn State game and – some of those, I know people were fed up seeing them, but some of those uh, screen passes to the outside, those quick tosses that they were getting blown up. It was alarming to see when Cade was the lead blocker there or the blocker there that he wasn't able to, to execute because that's what he does. I mean, that's part of the reason they moved him to offense was because he wants to hit guy. It's part of the reason he thought about moving back to defense is because he wants to hit guys. So the the fact that he was banged up makes a lot more sense. But, yeah, I think he certainly has the potential to be a, a highly drafted tight end. I don't know if you'll see him go as, as high as some of the other guys that will be in next year's class just because I don't know what his numbers will look like. You know, it wouldn't surprise me if he has similar numbers. Again, 36 catches, 406 yards, and five touchdowns. To uh, I, It would not surprise me if those numbers are similar in 2023. But is that a guy that, um, you know, a team gets really excited about early on in the draft? Probably not because there'll probably be some guys that, that put up some really big numbers this year. And But I do think he's probably a guy who's going to have a lot of success in the NFL because of what he can do both physically and in the passing game. Um, Bricky loves Ohio State. I think I said that right. <laughs> I thought this comment was funny. This popped up while we were talking about Ryan Day. Dave will leave Ohio State for an NFL team here soon. I don't know if that's true. Um, the one thing I would say is – I started to get the impression that Ryan was getting, and this is again, just my assumption that Ryan was getting frustrated with things with the NIL and with, um, you know, kind of, kind of the struggles they were having, so to speak. And I, I use air quotes there with recruiting um, towards the end of uh, that, that last class. I think the Buckeyes have figured that out at this point. Um you know, there's also a lot of pressure on Ryan Day, and he's brought that up a number of times. The NFL's different. Obviously, you don't have to recruit. Um, there's still a ton of pressure. Uh, you know, depending on where you go, it's it's more or less, but that's true in college football, and he's in one of the biggest pressure cooker jobs you could possibly get. But I think he's very happy other than those those few things, and I think if you sort out some of that stuff, I think you beat if you can beat Michigan this year, the pressure, any pressure that's a lot of pressure that's there comes off. Um, I think it would have to be a, a you know the right NFL job for him to want to leave Ohio State. Uh, even the pay at the NFL level is not as good as it, it can potentially be in college football. You know, if he's able to win a national championship in the next couple of years, get back to winning Big Ten championships regularly, you know, he's he's more than he already is set in financially. So I think it would have to be a, a job that was too good to pass up it's from uh, the New England area. You know, I don't know that again, it's just, this is me connecting dots there. If Bill Belichick ever decides to retire, maybe that's a job he would be interested in. Um, he grew up a Patriots fan. He has a story about going down to, to see the Patriots beat my Rams in the Super Bowl. So maybe that would be one he's interested in, but, if you have it rolling at Ohio State, and Ryan Day has had it rolling prior to really these last two years, and, and even these last two years, I think most people would take that, most other programs. Uh, if you have it rolling at Ohio State, things are, are pretty good. So I'm not sure. I don't, I don't think he leaves for the, an NFL job here anytime soon. All right. Well, unless, you, and unless we see any other questions thrown in there, um, we're going to wrap this one up. I wanted to hit on the transfer portal stuff because I do think it's interesting. If you missed any of our talk with Chris Hummer, who is the one of 247 Sports National College Football writers earlier, we were talking about kind of the shift in focus, shift in approach Ohio State has had uh, the the last or this past offseason in terms of the transfer portal. Um, and then we kind of went through the guys that they have, eight guys, and, and kind of where they fit. And, and I do think it's interesting because – They've got some guys who could definitely step in and be starters opening day at Indiana in 2023. But there's also some guys that maybe are depth, maybe down the road guys that Ohio State, again, probably wasn't adding from the transfer portal before. So I think this helps everybody. Um, you know, I think the more competition you can bring in, the better. 
And, you know, I, I understood Ryan Day's approach pre- previously about, you know, wanting to recruit high school kids, not wanting to rock the boat too much. But I think he's realized that, that there's an opportunity here and you don't want to get left behind and taking advantage of all the opportunities you have to to win. And he's got to win. That's that's the name of the game. So we did that. And then we answered some questions. If you missed any of it from the live live show, you can certainly go back. This will be up on all the podcast feeds later today. It'll be up on our YouTube page. Uh, I mentioned some of the stories we've done recently, but check out Bucknuts. We've had tons of stuff up as we've kind of really kicked off what I consider the offseason uh, once spring practice ends. And uh, Steve Hellwagon, if you're, you're a basketball recruiting guy, he's done a good job of covering some of the stuff uh, that's been going on, some of the, the AAU circuit stuff. So if you're into that, we've got plenty of that as well. And we won't be stopping anytime soon. So thanks for tuning in. Uh, this was a, this was a long one. It was longer than I expected, but good stuff. Appreciate everyone who turned tuned in If your like and subscribe YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts, all of that, all that stuff is, is helpful for us. And, uh, we'll be back next week. Buckeye fans. Cheers. winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven! Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details.